Turn with me Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20 and 21. Hallelujah. And say this with me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law. Then Christ is dead in vain. Now today I want to. My uh, the objective today is. To stimulate within you. A conscious. A consciousness of, of this verse. For you to, to inject and to stir up and to ignite a, 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 an awareness where you are conscious that it is no longer you, that you've been crucified, and it is no longer you that live, but it is Christ that liveth in you. And a consciousness of that life of Christ that is in you. It says here, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the Lord, then Christ is dead in vain. When you look at this closely... It says, you've ended, you've been crucified, and is now the life of Christ. And then it says, um, do not frustrate the grace of God. In other words, yield to that truth. Yield to that truth that you crucified, and it's now the life of Christ. Don't frustrate the grace of God. Yield to that truth. For if righteousness came by the law. In other words, it is literally saying that you being crucified with Christ, where it's no longer you that live, but it is now Christ that liveth in you, that in and of itself is the essence of righteousness. Amen? So if you will become, for you to become established in righteousness, you must become established in the truth that it's no longer you, but it's Christ that liveth in you. Are you with me? And the life that you now live, it is his life. So he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness, if this came about, this reality that is no longer you, but it's Christ in you, if this came by the law, if it came by works, if it came by self-effort, then Christ died in vain. So in other words then, this reality that it's not you, but you've been crucified, nevertheless live, but it's actually Christ that lived in you, was not, is not based on any works that you have done. It is so totally and completely and solely because of the fact that Jesus died. Because of the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? Now I'm emphasizing this and I will continue to emphasize it for, 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 for a long time to come. Because the Lord has emphasized it to me. 
and has brought to my attention the fact that I began this, but I didn't complete it. And that basically the Lord was saying, uh, it, it hasn't, they haven't gotten it yet. And it is important and critical that you do get it. That you do get what? That you get the reality of what a sacrifice have done and its application to your life. Amen? Amen. Now, and, and we must get it to the point that it takes over our consciousness. It becomes our awareness. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some, um, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And I say that to your shame. He says, awake to righteousness. Awake to this reality. That you, as you used to be, came to an end. And it is now the life of Christ in you. Develop that consciousness. Now, I was meditating on this verse, Galatians 2.20. And I came up with, it's not an amplified version because it's not the amplified version. And I decided I'm going to call it the IMT version, which is my version. But basically what it is, is I took this verse and I took some other comprehensions and some understanding from other verses of scripture and injected it into this verse. And this is what I came up with. And we're going to develop this over time. I am crucified with Christ. I died and was buried with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ that liveth in me. I was resurrected with him, ascended with him, made to sit in heavenly places in him at the Father's right hand. And the life that I now live, it's his life. As he is, so am I. I live by the faith of the Son of God, the supernatural faith and grace that causes me to see what he did is done and is finished. Amen? Now, I know it's a mouthful, but we, we, we'll get it as time goes on. But you will notice in that, when, I, when we talk about being crucified with Christ, it is also not just that I died with him, but I was buried with him. I'm titling today's message, A Continual Consciousness of the Truth. Say the truth. A continual consciousness of the truth. It is critical that you and I develop a consciousness that permeates our thinking regarding this truth, that it's no longer you, but it's Christ that lived in you. And, and for us to function more and more effectively in the life of Christ that is now yours, the life of Christ, which is the nature of God. It is the very objective of God from the outset that from before the foundation of the world, it was his purpose and is his purpose that we might function in his nature. Say function in his nature. That is what it's all about. That was his purpose from before the world began, before creation, when he chose us in Christ. This is what he has ordained. This is what he was after. Amen? And it has not changed. Now Jesus has come and it's made it possible for you and I to operate and to function in his life and in his nature. Amen? All right. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter, chapter 12. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Revelation chapter 12. 
Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Revelation chapter 12, reading from verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even... And they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he had but a short time. Now, the beginning of verse 12 says, Therefore, because of what came before, because of the fact that the enemy has been cast down, the accuser has been cast down, and now salvation has come, strength has come, the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost is here, the kingdom of God has come, the power of Christ has come, and they have overcome him because the blood has been shed. They have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even unto death. Which is to say, and their reality is that it's no longer them, but it's Christ that liveth in them. And because of these truths, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Rejoice, ye, in, ye, ye, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And then it talks about this group that are not rejoicing, which is those that are, that are not, those, that, those to whom he says, woe unto them, because the enemy, the devil, has come down unto you. Now, there is a difference between the rejoicing group and the woe group. And I believe, among other things, the difference is, do you have the consciousness of the fact that that, that, uh, of the fact that salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and so on has come, that the enemy has been cast down? Do you have the consciousness of the fact that um, you have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony? Are you conscious that it's no longer you, but it's Christ that liveth in you? Are you dwelling? Where do you dwell? Because these that have this consciousness, where do they dwell? And ye that dwell in them, ye that dwell in the heavens, Ye that dwell in this place in God. So it leads me to the question of where do you live? And it's a very, very critical question. Where do you live? What is your consciousness? Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, you don't need to turn to it, says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We belong, we live in the household of God. Amen? We are dwelling 
if we are seated at the Father's right hand in Christ. We might be walking here on this earth, but we are living in heavenly places in Christ. Acts chapters, where do we live? Acts 17 verse 28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, All things are fine. If any man is in Christ, if any man is where? In Christ. You and I are in Christ. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 3 says, let me turn and read it. Colossians chapter 3, reading from verse 1. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Where do you and I live? We are in Christ. We are in, the, we are in heaven, and because that's where we are, we, we, we rejoice. We are, the, the, we are to be rejoicing because we know something. We are, now where we are, we are in resurrection life. You see, where you are is not just because of Jesus' death and burial, but where you are is because of you were raised up with him and you, be, and you ascended with him and you were made to sit together with him. Amen? And in this place where you are, you have the authority of the blood of Christ, the authority of the name of Jesus, and you have the very life of Christ dwelling in you and the word of God has been given to you as a new creation to cause that divine nature to come forth. Amen? Where do you live? You are living in the place. You are living in resurrection life. Say, I am in resurrection life. Now mentally, begin to get an image, begin to get a picture of where you live, of who you are. Glory to God. Mm. All right. Let's turn to, I'll come back here. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Because it is about a consciousness. You see, if you don't understand the fact that, that the kingdom has come, that you've got the victory, it's no longer you. What Jesus did was done for you. Everything that Jesus finished is already done. If you don't understand that, then, then, then we will have this war mentality. We will have this mentality that the enemy is after us. We will have this, uh, uh, that we've got to do this and that with the enemy not recognizing that he's underneath our feet and he is defeated. We will be open and, 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 and susceptible to condemnation, to guilt, to shame, to insecurity, to fears, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Amen? And voices that are dead to us speak to us. First Peter chapter 3. I'm heading to verse 21, but let me back it up to verse, to verse um, 18. For Christ also had once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein Few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Verse 21. The like figure 
whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Wherein this baptism does also, the old King James says dot, D-O-T-H, but I'm saying does. <laughs> I, I, I'll amplify this, but where baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but, and you ought to put away the filth of the flesh, wouldn't you say? But it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh that saves you, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let's think on this for a minute, but let's not just skip over it. It's saying it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh that saves us. Did it say that? Did you read that? Did you? It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh that saves you, and you ought to put away the filth of the flesh. Don't get me wrong. But it is saying it is baptism that now saves you. And then it goes on to say, the answer of a good conscience towards God that is as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there is something that you can equate that saves you between the baptism that equates to this good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is it? What is this all about? Let me just read the Amplified. Baptism, which is a figure of their deliverance, does now also save you from the inward questionings and fears. You see, the reality is, you have got some stuff in your flesh that will, Romans chapter 7 talks about it. You know, I do that which I want not, and, and I go to do good, and there is evil present. And, and, I mean, and I mean, if you listen to stuff in your flesh, man, you will feel, you wouldn't, you would wonder if you're saved. Hello? Isn't that right? There is a war, and there is a language, and there is a dynamic that is happening in your flesh, that if you listen to it, it would make you feel so unrighteous, so separated from God. And if you yield to it, then you're in trouble. <laughs> Are you with me? But it says, this baptism saves you from that inward questioning and fears. In other words, those voices that are coming from that arena, it can deliver you from it. Now let's stay with me. Not by the removing of the outward body filth bathing, but by providing you with the answer of a good and a clear conscience, an inward cleanness and peace before God, because you are demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, sometimes the, the Amplified goes off a little. <laughs> but here's the point. The Bible says, and, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to make a point. I want to, I want to uh, uh, get, get this issue of the consciousness, this good conscience. This good conscience is coming. This good conscience that you have ought to produce a consciousness. This good conscience, this good conscience is connect, is from the resurrection. It's because of the resurrection. And this good conscience is connected to this baptism. What are we talking about? Now, you see, when you were born again, the Bible says in, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, and I, 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 you know, I'll give you these scriptures, but I don't want to go over there because if I head across there, we're going to get stuck. 
All right? So I'll just mention it to you. You know how it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, how we were buried with him by baptism, by the faith of the operation of God, and so on? And in, and in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Know ye not? Let's flip over there just for a minute. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 6. Let's just see this. Because it is important that you get this. Amen? Romans chapter 6, I'm heading to verse 4. Are you there? All right. Let the fingers do the walking. Romans chapter 6, reading from verse 3. Know you not that as many of you as were baptized, baptized, immersed, tie died into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. You were baptized into his death. But when you were baptized into his death, not only were you crucified, therefore we are buried. You weren't just crucified, but you were buried with him by baptism into death. I used to think of, you know, when we think about the sacrifice of Christ and we think about his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his shed blood, and then the implications of that, the authority of the name, the life of Christ that is in us, and the word of God that is, that is designed, the promises that are given us so that we will be partakers of his divine nature. When I think of those things, and I would, you know, I would, you know, I've taught a lot about and studied a lot about what is the implication of his death and, and, and what ended and so on. But whenever it comes to the burial, I would kind of like brush over it. And I would only think of it, my thinking was limited to this. You know, the Bible says, you know, Lazarus was dead for four days. Was it four days? It was four days, right? Now, and that in the Jewish culture meant he was really dead. You follow me? Jesus had to be dead for not just a day, but for three days for various reasons. But that meant he was really dead. Amen? And that is so. But I, I've come to see that it is more than that. It is so much more than that that the, that, that the Bible takes time to, to talk about it by itself. Which we're going to study sometime. It talks about being crucified and dying with him. It talks about resurrection. It talks about ascension. It talks about the blood. But it also talks about the fact that you were buried with him by baptism. Now what is that about? What else is involved in this issue of being buried? It's dead indeed. <laughs> but think about this for a moment. If you have a corpse and that person dies, if you leave the corpse on the surface, it will stink. Amen? But if you bury it six feet down, no smell, you were buried. You're not supposed to have any smell of that old life. It's done. It's finished. But beyond that, can you imagine Aunt Joan died and she, you know, and they put her in a, maybe she died in a rocking chair and they just left her there. You can pass, go back and forth and you can kind of pat Aunt Joan here and there, you know what I mean, and try to talk to her or whatever. But there's that constant reminder she's there. So that death ended her. Right? But if you bury on Joan, now she's gone. Ended by death, gone by burial. Are you with me? 
Now, can you imagine if, I, I mean, just because she's no longer can be seen, it will affect your consciousness. It will affect the way you think in relationship to her. So God is saying to us, know you not that not only were you crucified with him, not only was there an end to you and the, and the identity that you had and all of those other voices that were speaking to you, not only has there been an end to those things, but on top of that, you were buried with him. You were buried in him so that the old you is gone indeed. Old things have passed away. It's gone. There is no more you. Amen? And anything else that was connected to you, it's gone. It's over. And then when you were raised up, you were raised up in his resurrection, ascended with him, made to sit together with him, sharing his authority through his name. And so God is saying, look, know ye not our need for you to develop this consciousness, your righteousness, this issue of you being one with God, this issue of having no condemnation, no insecurity, and all these other things. It is, it is interwoven and it is inter and it's connected with the reality of the fact that you are, that, that you are dead and you are buried. And now in his resurrection, you are alive. So here, you have a good conscience by the resurrection. I even go so far to say you're a new person. That's scripture. And you got what? A new conscience. And it's a good one. It is a conscience. In other words, God is saying, I want you to develop a consciousness whereby you know that you've been crucified with him. You know that you are buried with him. And it is no longer you that live. But it is Christ that lived in you. When Christ was raised up, you were raised up. You were raised up in his resurrection. You ascended with him. You are seated with him. And now you share in his authority. And you have his shed blood as the witness and as the authority that says it is so. And the authority of the name of Jesus to bind that enemy and keep him where he ought to be. Underneath your feet. And if that is not enough, you've got his life, you've got his nature, and as he is, so are you in this world. You've got a new identity. When you were raised up, that old identity came to an end. There is nothing of that person that is wrong. He is dead. He is buried. I've got no identification with him. Now, so where are you? You are in resurrection. Now, in resurrection where you are, the voice of fear. There is no fear has no voice in resurrection. Accusation, being accused, condemnation, guilt, intimidation. All of these other voices are have been silenced. The voice of your history has been silenced because you don't have any. It is not your history anymore. It is now his story. His life in you. And you writing new pages of it. Because the whole purpose of God in your life right now is for you to manifest the nature of God. And the life of Christ. It is him that liveth in you. Are you with me? All right. 
Now the truth, the here, is, here is what it comes down to. In that place where you live, glory to God. In that place of resurrection, in that place where these voices that can accuse you and all these all of that stuff is done, it's settled, it's, they, they, they can't talk there. You don't hear them. Not in that place. They have no voice. They have no authority. Your history has no authority. Give those things have no authority. They've been silenced. Sin. What sin? In that place, the Father says, there is no more remembrance. There is no more record. The handwriting has even been, been, been wiped out. Amen? And in that place, it is done. It is finished. And in that place, you are operating with his faith. By the faith of the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You are in that place where you see that it is done. It is finished. You see that if he did it, it is done. Hallelujah. You've got a new identity. The Bible says, when Christ, who's your life, shall appear. Christ himself is your life. Your identity is now Christ. In fact, I'll tell you something else. We, we can't go far with that, but I'm just going to throw it out there right now anyway. When you went down and you died, you died as you together with him. But when you were raised up, according to Ephesians chapter 1, 23, and several other verses, and you were baptized and immersed into the body of Christ, when you were raised up, you were raised up as us. You were raised up as us. So it's no longer me, it's us. It's us. It's the body of Christ, the ground and the pillar of truth. Now, the implications of that are significant, but we will deal with that down the road. In this place where you now live, you are not only forgiven, but the nature of God that, do you believe that God, I mean, if Jesus didn't die, if the blood wasn't shed, or if you go to heaven, or not if you go to heaven, if you die and he didn't receive Jesus, would God have the right to judge you? Would he have the right to judge you? Come on. He would have the right to judge you. He would have the right to, have the right to sentence you. He would have the right to condemn you. But you see, in Christ, because the blood has been shed, the very nature of God that is able to do that has been totally appeased and satisfied. So God look at you, God, God, I mean, God, so God look at you, for, for you to be forgiven is just a part of it. But the wrath of God has been satisfied. The Bible says Jesus was the propitiation, the blood sacrifice for our sins. And in the sight of God, Colossians 1.22 says, you are holy, you are pure, you are unblameable, you are without reproach. You know what it is to be without reproach? It means there is no, God says, I, I find no fault in you. Amen? Now, can you imagine if you were to start seeing other believers that way? Hello? <laughs> in this place where you live, you possess the very nature of God. You see when the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is the nature of God. The life of Christ is the nature of God. So you, we are partakers of his divine nature. That's eternal life. 
So God says, I want you to know that you have my nature. Amen? We are his children. We have his nature. All right. Now, if you were to just, just mentally go back with me to Revelations, we're not going to turn there, but if you go back to Revelations, where it is saying salvation has come, strength has come, the kingdom of God has come, the power of Christ has come, the enemy has been cast down, they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and this is their reality. They love not their lives even unto death. They recognize Galatians 2.20 is theirs. And they rejoice. Amen? All of those things, they are the truth. And the Bible says, so knowing the truth is the difference between being in the rejoicing group or the whole crowd. And I particularly choose those words. Believing, acknowledging, and receiving the truth is the difference between being in the rejoicing group or the whole crowd. The whole crowd is a crowd. And I'll tell you something. There are believers, born again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers that are in the whole crowd. Because they have not yet awakened. Their consciousness have not been awakened to the reality that it's no longer them, but it's Christ that lived in them. They have not been awakened to the fact that the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the past and all these things are done, they're finished, they ended and they have no voice to them. They, are no, they haven't awakened to those things. But you and I must awake to those things. Amen? So knowing the truth is the difference. How do I know that? Well, John 17, 17 says, it puts it this way. It says, for Jesus was praying. He says, Father, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. In other words, separate them. Make them distinct from, by the truth. The truth is what separates us. What is the truth? What is the truth? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> but before I answer that, let me say this. Truth brings freedom. John 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and what? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will produce freedom. Third John 3, 4, um, third, the third epistle of John, I, just, I, I, I don't want to make sure I quote it correctly. Third epistle of John, verse 3 and 4 says, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and they testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as you walk in the truth, as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In other words, what gives God the greatest pleasure? What gives them the greatest joy? What gives them the greatest pleasure? What tickles them most? What, what excites them more? What, what, what gives them the greatest delight is when his children are walking in the truth. Amen? What is the truth? The truth is what Jesus did. The truth is what Jesus did. It is his sacrifice and, and as a result, the result of it. It is what Jesus did it is, and it's and it who Jesus is. And it's who you are because of what he did. That's why it has to start with a sacrifice. Because you don't know who he is without knowing what he did. Amen? Are you with me? And it is as he is, so are we in this world. 
What did Jesus do? Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, uh, um, um, his shed blood, the name that he has given us, and, um, and his nature, his life, his spirit that is within us, and the word of God that has been, that has been given specifically to his children, to the new creation. Amen? The truth is, who, is what Jesus did. The truth is about his sacrifice. So we are not talking about, if we do not talk about the sacrifice and the application of the sacrifice and walking in the sacrifice, we are not talking about truth. We're not, we, we, whatever we're doing is, is, is not an essential. Are you with me? Amen? The Bible says, you know, we, 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 I shared this before, how that the will of God was Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus said, I've come to do thy will. A body you prepared for me. And Jesus walked around with that body. Jesus was carrying that sacrifice with him. All the time. Amen? And the Bible says, so the, the, the will of God was the sacrifice of Jesus. Nothing else pleased him. But a body you prepared for me, I have come to do thy will. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26 and verse 36, you have need of patience, you have need of perseverance. So after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. After you have done the sacrifice of Christ, after you have stood and applied the sacrifice of Christ, what will happen? You will receive the promise. So if there is, if, and it says you have the need of perseverance so that you can do the sacrifice of Christ and stand there. So if, and you will receive the promise. So if the promise has not been coming forth, then you got to ask yourself, could it be that you are not applying the sacrifice of Christ? Because it is the application of truth that brings the freedom. You shall know the truth, do the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the truth is the sacrifice of Christ. Are you with me? And we must understand it and comprehend it to the place where we know how to apply it and be doers of it. The Bible says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might come to know and prove what's God's good, perfect, and acceptable will. And that is talking, that all of that there. Presenting your body, not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the new mind. All of that flows right out of the sacrifice. Because you see, because of the sacrifice of Christ, that your body is no longer your own. Isn't that right? Are you supposed to present it as what? As a living sacrifice. The same way he presented his. Right? You're now going to that cross. Not my will. <laughs> oh, by the way, it's our Father which art in heaven. Not just my father. Because when, I, when we were raised up, I'm just not raised up as me, I'm raised up as us. You are your brother's keeper. Right? That's why the Bible says, you better be careful, lest there be any, any among you, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief in any among you. And, and to provoke one another daily. Because there's a real responsibility we have for one another. And if that big toe is hurting, if you cut off that big toe, man, you can't walk. You're going to limp. Amen? <laughs> and every member of the body of Christ is a big toe. <laughs> All I mean by that is the fact that every person is so needed. <laughs> Amen. All right. That, that, that wasn't too scriptural, but anyway. <laughs> but you get the point, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it gives the Father pleasure when we walk in truth. 
That truth is Christ. Now the truth is powerful. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 8, you can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. Which means what? The truth prevails. The truth will prevail. You see, because of the fall of man and because of the knowledge of good and evil, that as, as, as Brother Graham shared last week, a lot of the time that knowledge is coming out of our experience and so on that is so limited. Amen? But because of the knowledge, because of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we are so moved by circumstances. We are so moved by what it looks like. We are so moved by appearances. We are so moved by the information that comes from our senses that we somehow have a greater confidence in that than we do the eternal truth that we may not be able to physically see. But the Bible says the things that you see are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And they will work a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory while we look at those unseen things. You see, it's going to come down to the issue of focus. What you focus on is going to affect your consciousness. And if you are focused on the circumstances and the conflicts and, and all of that, then that will be the, what you become conscious of. When you behold the glory of the Lord, you transform and change into what you see. Well, if what you're beholding is the conflict and the problem and the challenges and what has happened in the past and what sister so-and-so say and what you're feeling and all that stuff that's going on in your body, if you are focused on that, then those are the things that will, become, will have lordship in your life. So the Bible says, put that aside and lift up your eyes. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finish of your faith, which is to say you get involved with the life of Christ that is within you. Get engaged with that. Pursue that. Diligently, earnestly, relentlessly pursue that life that is in here. That's what it means when it says this is the faith that pleases God. They that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of what? Of what? Them that diligently seek him. Them that have that earnest, relentless pursuit of him and that life that is his. That life that is in us. You and I have to come to that place where we recognize this is what it's about. And I will relentlessly pursue that life. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to seek first to operate and function in that nature. It's called godliness. It's called being functional in the life and the nature of God. Amen? All right. Hallelujah. So truth prevails. You can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Proverbs 22 verse 21 speaks about the certainty of truth. The certainty of truth. You've got to see as God sees. You've got to see yourself the way God sees you. Holy, blameless, without reproach. Crucified, yet not you living, but Christ living in you. Buried with him by baptism. You've got to see yourself the way God sees you. And I'll tell you something. If you don't see you the way God sees you, then you're siding with the enemy. If you do not see yourself the way God sees you, then you are agreeing and partnering with the enemy. The Bible says that a man that looks into the perfect law of liberty 
and does not go away and forget what he sees, but he binds himself to what he sees. What does he see in the law of liberty? What does he see? He sees himself in this book. He sees who he is, crucified, no longer him. God's workmanship, the product of God, the, the, perfect, the perfect product of a perfect sacrifice. He sees himself as a son of God, a child of God, washed, cleansed, no, no record of sin. And when he goes away and he does not forget what he sees, the Bible says, but he's a doer of the work. What work? That work. That was that work. Man, you are work. <laughs> you are a work of the hand of God. That is why God calls you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, his workmanship. Say, I'm a work. <laughs> and I mean that. I'm just kind of joking, but I really, really mean it. I have scripture for it. Amen. James 1, 25. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Say, I'm a work. <laughs> well, the Bible says, he, if you be a doer of the work, you will, you, will be, you will what? You will be blessed in all your deed. What does that mean? That if you walk in the reality of who you are as a result of the sacrifice of Christ, you will be blessed in what you do. But when you do not walk in the reality of the sacrifice of Christ, you do not walk in the reality of who you are, which means you're not agreeing with, who, with what God sees, you find yourself agreeing with the enemy. And even though it might feel good, and it might yield or it might cooperate with the flesh, the end of it is death. It's not blessing. Amen? Say, I'm not going to side with the devil. I see me the way God sees me. Here's a nice phrase, and you can write this down. It has a nice ring to it. You know, God is I am. I am what I am says I am. Are you? <laughs> I am what I am says I am. All right. Now, the fact is, there is a conflict that will come from the world, from people around you. From, that will come from your flesh. As I said in Romans chapter 7, it talks about that dynamic and that law that operates in your flesh that wars against the law of your mind and endeavoring to bring you into its captivity. But, you say that, but the Bible says that you can win that war by recognizing that Jesus has delivered you and, and allow the law of the spirit of life in Christ to rule and serve God with the law. Serve the law of God with your mind. Serve the law of God because you delight in that law after the inner man. And don't allow that, that, that warring in your flesh to win. Amen? So there is a war in your flesh. There is a dynamic in your flesh that endeavors to bring you into bondage and captivity and to pull you out from the rest. Pull you out from this place where you have this consciousness of being righteous. And pull you out into an evil place of unbelief where you feel so separated from God. And you begin to identify with, 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 with the negative voices that you are hearing. There is a war coming from your flesh. There is a war coming from the world. There is a war coming from the enemy that is coming to assault you and torment you and accuse you. But he's being cast down. He has, no, he has no voice before the fathers accuse you. Amen? But he, is, he will try to torment you. He will try to bring fear into your life. This is another study, but nevertheless, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this. Even this morning I was driving and I was thinking about the fact that, you know, I was thinking about a little child. And how the Bible says that we must be as little children. And how little children don't have any sense of lack 
Oh, where am I going to get the next meal from? Why? They just trust their parents. That's my parents' responsibility. They provide my needs. We should be like that. My God provides all of my needs. And, and, then, and, and that makes you realize that this issue, when you've got to look to the arm of your flesh, when you've got to look to your ability, right, your own sweat to provide your need, then somewhere along the line, it comes up short. Somewhere along the line, once you, buy into, once you bite that apple, apple, <laughs> once you do, then what happens is somewhere along the line, it doesn't taste that good anymore. And all of a sudden, you begin to recognize, oh, wait a minute, according to my knowledge of good and evil, I might not have enough. And now fear sets in. So fear comes in and the doorway was this arm of flesh that you were trusting in. Little children don't have that. And they don't have no fear. Then again, fear comes from, another, from yet another source. The, 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 the information that comes to you from the natural realm. From your senses. And you believe that stuff. Whether it be the doctor's report or whether it be what it looks like, feels like or whatever. Children don't operate like that. Amen? I mean, or, 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 or that come from the senses, you know. Like, how many of you could remember 9-11? That stuff affects you. Amen? That's a, when you hear about plane crashes, that affects you when you step on, on a plane. The smell of smoke. Hmm. What's this burning? <laughs> it affects you. Can you imagine a little child saying... Oh, I smell smoke. We better get out of here. There's no fear. But, but what I'm showing you is, and I could go on. We can talk about, we can talk about uh, uh, the other areas uh, that, 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 that fear comes from. Children don't have none of that. They, in other words, then, it is as if those voices have no authority, no rule to them. And here we are in resurrection. What Jesus has finished, and those voices, whatever they might be, guilt, condemnation, insecurity, all of that stuff has been silenced by the death of Christ. And by the burial, it has been confirmed and has been made final. And in resurrection, they don't have a say. So God says, come up here, live with me. He that overcometh, well, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. This is where overcomers live, in that place. Amen? But there is these conflicts. There are these conflicts. And, 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 you know, and, and according to Proverbs 21, 22, it says a wise man comes. And he comes and he wants to take this particular city. But in order to take that city, there is a wall. And the people behind the wall, their confidence is that their protection comes from that wall. Amen? Just like the enemy, his confidence comes from his ability to deceive you. But when the wise man comes and he scares the wall, guess what happens? Now all of the enemy's spoil is available to him. In other words then, now that, that, that process of scaling the wall, what does that is the truth. In other words then, you have got to have a greater confidence in the truth than, 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 that, than that wall that is hindering you. Let me put it differently. I didn't turn to the pastors, and hence I'm, I'm, I didn't communicate it quite accurately, but let me put it this way. Bottom line is this. Whatever conflicts might come, whether it be in our physical body, whether it be sickness, disease, poverty, lack, curse of any sort, whatever it is, with our children, with our family, with whatever it might be, unless your confidence in the truth is greater than the conflict, sorry, but you're going down. Just to use the children and the young people's language. You follow me? 
then there's a potential of you going down. However, if your confidence in the truth is greater, it will prevail and you will prevail. But what is the truth? It's the sacrifice of Christ. So how does that sacrifice apply to that situation and to that conflict? Now the application, the application, the application of the truth becomes your testimony. Amen? The application of the truth is your testimony. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the application of the truth of what came before in that very passage in, in, in Revelations. Turn with me to Titus. Titus chapter 1. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. All right. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Titus chapter 1. Verse 1. In fact, hmm. Titus chapter 1, flip with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 also. It would be helpful to see them both side by side. Verse, just verse 1. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Titus chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. I'm just going to stop there. Second Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant, instead of Paul, it's Simon Peter. Same Holy Ghost. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained the precious faith with us through the righteousness of God. Here Paul had said, they're acknowledging that according to the faith of God's elect. So when we look at this, we're talking about the same faith. According to Peter, this faith, this precious faith, is through the righteousness of God. Which is to say, and don't forget, the only the righteousness, you are righteous in his resurrection. The righteousness, in other words, because of righteousness or because of the resurrection. This faith is a faith that we have because of the resurrection. And this faith is of God. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. God has dealt to every one of us a measure, the measure of faith. God has given unto you and I a supernatural ability to believe what, to believe that what he said is done to believe that what Jesus did is done. You have that ability within you. So that when you see by his stripes you were healed, when you see Jesus took my sicknesses, he carried my infirmities, and by his stripes I were healed, you are able to believe that because you've got the faith of God in you. So that you can see that and you can recognize that if he took it, it was taken. <laughs> and if he did it, it is done. And if by his stripes I were healed, then I look in the spirit and I'm healed. That's very important. Because you see, hmm, this issue of the faith of God is, is one of seeing as God sees. 
seeing it done, seeing it finished. God said, when God, God said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. He didn't say to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Abraham, if you trust me, and if you stay with me, and if we walk this thing out, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. That's not what he said. He said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. Romans 4 verse 17 I'm referring to. And then it says, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things that be not as though they were. And Abraham made a shift. Up until that point, Abraham was looking for somebody, looking for God to do this. Looking for God to do. Looking for God to do. Looking for God to do. And he did not recognize what God had already done. And as a result, he had spent about 25 years believing for a child and there was no baby. But then when he went before him whom he believed, and he believed like God, and he see it, ha, huh, I have been made a father of many nations. Nothing in the evidence in the natural realm says it's true. If I talk to Sarah, she says that's not so. If I talk to Eliezer, no matter who I talk to, doctor, lawyer, if I go and I check and, 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 and I... And I and I Google, nothing says I'm so. But God says, I have made you a father of many nations. And he believed God because God said it. And God said it is done. And he accepted it as being done. And once he did that, within a year, here came Isaac. It is a vertical faith as opposed to a faith for. Listen to this for a moment. When you are looking for God to do so, so, so. I'm looking for God to do it. That means I don't believe that he has done it. And I'm looking for him to do it. As opposed to when I look and I see it is done and it is finished, then I, 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 it's a different thing altogether. Let me read something here, a, a vote. If you're looking for God to do it, then you think he has not done it. And so you don't know. And if you think, now listen to this for a moment. If you think he has not done it, then you don't know where you live. Because where do you live? Remember, where do you live? In Christ. In him it is finished. You are in heavenly places. It is done. The works of God were done from the foundation of the world. Enter into his rest. It is finished. The sickness has been dealt with. You don't even look. You see, you've got to focus not on the temporal, but on the eternal. On what is done. Here is where the trap comes in. The purpose of God is for the nature, the purpose of God for our lives in any situation, at any time, no matter what it is, is always, say always, is always for his nature to manifest, to come forth. It's always for you and I to function in his nature. Always. That's his purpose. It was his purpose from the foundation of the world, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Now, here's what happens. 
when that conflict, that sickness, that situation, that circumstance, when that comes and we focus on that conflict as opposed to focusing on the purpose and focusing on, on the fact that it is his life, his nature. We take our eyes off Jesus. We take our eyes off the life that is within us. We begin to focus on what's happening in my body. Watch this. When I'm focusing on what's happening in my body, the sickness, the infirmity, the pain that is demanding my attention, and I'm making that my focus, what happens? The power, uh, I didn't get any Timothy, but in Timothy here, we're not going to get to it because of time, but it says in verse 3 that God has ordained that to manifest his word through preaching. What does that mean? God has said, this is how it works. I will manifest the word. Manifest means to make evident, to unveil. He says, I'm going to evidence it. I'm going to bring the proof of it through the preaching of the word, through the declaration and the proclamation of the truth. The proclamation of the truth. If what I'm speaking is not the truth, God is not authorized to bring it to pass. If I'm focusing and I'm talking about the conflict and about the situation, and I'm focusing on what's happening in my body, God is not authorized. There's nothing for him to manifest. But if I am looking, here this is happening in my body. But instead of me looking at what's happening in my body, I look at what happened in Jesus' body. And I see that sickness and that infirmity, according to Matthew 8, 17, that it was in him. He bore it. He carried my infirmity. And by his stripes I were healed. When I look at him, the Bible says in the Old Testament, when they lifted up the serpent and they were all bitten, everyone that looked lived. When you look onto Jesus and when you can see that sickness, that infirmity, rather than look at the sickness, look at it in him. Don't look at the conflict. Look at it in him. Look at what he did with it. Look that he finished it. See that by his stripes you were healed. And then pray from there. Speak from there. Proclaim from there. Declare from there. Now you can now pray. Now you can declare, thank you, Father, that this infirmity that is trying to afflict me, this situation, this circumstance, this harassment, this lie, whatever it is, in the name of Jesus, I refuse to accept it. I bind it. I silence it. Because by his stripes, I will heal. You bore it. You took it. You ended it. And I begin to speak from where I am in him. According to what the word declares. I declare what is done to be finished. And when I do that, the Bible says in Titus here that the acknowledgement of the truth, which is after godliness, verse 1, which means what? The acknowledgement of the truth, which is after, which is the means by which I function in the life of Christ. It is the means by which I function in his nature. When I speak, and acknowledge the truth, I function in his nature. If I speak and I acknowledge what is not the truth, I'm not functioning in his nature. And it's in him that the promises are yes and what? That means if all, the Bible did not say all the promises of God are yes and amen, blank. Did it say that? No. It says all the promises of God in him. 
Oh, yes and amen. In other words, it doesn't matter what the promise is. But when you stand in that promise, and when you operate it in him, it is guaranteed. Amen. The Bible says God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And he's given us great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of his divine nature. The promises have come to reveal that nature that I have on the inside of me. The promises have come to reveal that on the inside of me, out of my belly flows rivers of living water. The promises have come to reveal that the fullness of God dwells on the inside of you. The promises of God, where is the fullness of God? Where is it? Where is the kingdom of God? Out of where does the rivers of living water flow? Where is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Where is the glory? Where is the resurrection power? Where does the healing come from? Out here? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 10 that your spirit is life. Because of righteousness and the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead quickens your mortal body. It comes from in here. So what should you seek? Where should you pursue? Diligently, earnestly, fervently, incessantly, relentlessly pursue that life. That life. For out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what the world needs. Recognize that when you lay hands on somebody. That is out of there flows rivers of living water. Are you hearing me? Amen. It is in the acknowledgement of the truth that you get your testimony. When you take the truth and you apply it, you get a testimony. When you apply the truth and it becomes manifest, now you've got something to give to somebody. Amen. Now you've got something that can now multiply in the life of somebody else. Go into all the world and do what? Preach. What does that mean? Proclaim the truth. What is the truth? He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He, was asc he ascended into heaven. And you were in him. And the blood declares that it's also. There is no wrath against you. And you have the authority of the name of Jesus. The devil is underneath our feet. One more thought. The Bible says for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. You might say, well, what about my, I still have these problems. I still have these things to deal with. And you're telling me not to focus on the conflict. Focus on the light. Focus on the nature. Focus on the truth. Yes, I am saying that. But here is something. First John 3 verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was what? manifested that he might what destroy the works of the enemy that nature of christ destroys the works of the enemy that nature that is within you it destroys the works of the enemy so when you focus on that nature what happens those issues get solved those issues because that nature flows and that nature destroys the works of the enemy it's the very nature of the nature are you with me that's what it is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18. We don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Ooh, listen to this thought. The Bible says in that same passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13 to 18, in there it says, This light affliction which is but for a what? The, the best the devil can do 
the best he can come up with against you is but for a what? It's but for a moment. God calls it a moment. But in the meanwhile, whatever he can do is but for a moment. But on the other hand, listen to this. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. It will take the ages to come for him to unfold and to reveal his kindness and his grace towards us. Who so abundant. But as for the afflictions and whatever the enemy can do, it's but for a moment. But you see, what do you do? Look not at the things that are seen but other things that are not seen. Have a greater confidence in the truth. Have a greater, pursue, focus on this nature, but you can't operate in this nature if you don't recognize I'm crucified. It's not me anymore. The life I live is the life of Christ. I was crucified. I was buried. My identity that I had is gone. It's history. And from here on, it's his story. You've got to recognize that or else, that life will be there, and the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18, you will be alienated from that life, even though it's yours. Amen? Let's stand. Hallelujah! Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise your Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul said in Acts 24 and verse 16, he said, I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense. <laughs> void of offense before God and man. Void of offense. If we were to go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, and Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, because you are an offense to me. You are an offense to me because you savor the things that are of man. In other words, you are an offense to me because you are ruled by I and me. And he says, that's an offense. Paul says, I exercise myself to have a conscience that is free from offense before God and man. He says, I, I, I develop this. I exercise this. I practice this. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 says, exercise yourself unto godliness. Which means exercise yourself to learn how to, to, to function in the nature of Christ. The nature of God. Exercise yourself. I say to you that this issue about the consciousness is a development. It has to do with what you focus on. So you spend time declaring, talk to yourself, going to sleep and waking up. I'm crucified. I was buried with him. It's no longer I that live. But it's Christ that lived in me. I was raised up with him. I was ascended with him. I'm seated in heavenly places with him. The life I now live, it is the life of Christ. And I live it by the faith of the Son of God. It's not based on any works that I did. It is because of his sacrifice. Jesus did it, and it's because of what he did that it is so. And Father, I just thank you. And just recognize, I'm crucified. I'm crucified. I'm crucified. I now live. It's the life of Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It is his life. It is in his nature. Out of my belly flows rivers of living water. You got to think and talk and act that way. Exercise, training, practice, so that you can become more developed in it and that that consciousness can take you over. Amen? The Bible says that we are a work 
and that when we when we do not when we when we be a doer of that work we will be blessed in all our deeds there is nothing the enemy have that can rule over us the truth prevails the acknowledgement of the truth he has ordained he will manifest he will make evidence his life amen you want some of that you already got it you already got it let's just draw it out amen father in the name of jesus father we thank you right now for the truth of that life that is in us the truth of what jesus finished in his death and in his burial the truth of who we are in his resurrection the truth of the authority that we have in his name and that blood that speaks before your throne that declares there is no wrath against us we are not under any condemnation there is no guilt jesus died to end every every offense on our part oh father we thank you so very much and we pray in the name of jesus just as it was prayed in colossians 4 and verse 12 that for each and every one of us that we would be complete and we would be settled and rooted and anchored in the sacrifice of Christ. That the sacrifice of Christ would have the same impact on us as it has in heaven. That that blood that was shed will affect us as it has affected heaven and removed every accusation and every record of any wrongdoing that it was in heaven has been wiped out by that blood. Let it have that same effect on us here on earth as it is in heaven. Every aspect of the sacrifice, Father, in the name of Jesus, may your purpose be fulfilled and that we would effectively function in the life of Christ and in your nature that you have called us to manifest and to walk in. Father, we thank you for doing it in the name of Jesus.